You're listening to Teaching STEM for Real, a podcast dedicated to for real conversations on educational equity in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education. I'm your host, Dr. Lena Bakshi McLean, STEM education disruptor, justice advocate, certified ruffler of feathers, and a wannabe comedian. I'm also the founder of the nonprofit STEM for Real. If you want to explore what anti-racist and socially just instruction looks like in our classrooms, schools, and beyond, for real, you're in the right place. Let's dive right in. Okay, trigger warning. I will be talking about a very personal experience with pregnancy loss, and I am so grateful to be in the hands of Parijat. Parijat Deshpande is the leading integrative high-risk pregnancy specialist, somatic trauma professional, and speaker, and author who guides women to improve their pregnancy complications so they can reduce their risk of preterm birth. Her unique neurobiological approach has served hundreds of women to manage pregnancy complications and reclaim a safety and trust in their bodies that they thought was eroded forever. What I love about most is that what does this have to do with STEM teaching? Many science and STEM teachers have to teach health. And I thought that this would be the best way to talk about health and health education and talking about what women as teachers go through as they are dealing with pregnancy and pregnancy loss. So come on and join in on this very unique approach as we talk about health education with one of the best in the world. All right, so here I have, I've got the podcast goat. I mean, here I listen to you and now we've got Parijat here on the show with us. So welcome, welcome Parijat. It is so, it is such an honor to have you here and to have these conversations on, on pregnancy, pregnancy loss and, and really, really everything in between. So, so yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And, you know, we are, we're all about teaching STEM for real. And yet here we are having these conversations on pregnancy and maternity. And, and the reason why I was so connected to you and to your work is because I'm female and I had a pregnancy and I even experienced, you know, a pregnancy loss and as a teacher, in fact, that um, that experience occurred in the middle of me teaching a class, and and it was and it was an online class, of course, a, a pandemic, and so I had I had the mute button, I had the turn off camera button, I had you know my very adult students that understood. Okay, I'm going through an experience right now. I'll be back, and. And just sitting with that, and I just couldn't help but think as I was going through this experience, what would it have been like if I was in the classroom, in a K-12 classroom? What would it have been like? And I know there are so many of our teachers that are experiencing this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think 
in the middle of a pandemic, it's made it even more complicated. How do you tell people? Who do you tell? How do you handle this? Um, like you said, there's benefits of that in, in the sense that sometimes this can happen behind a camera and we can turn off the camera and handle it. And sometimes that's not an option. And we have less supports now than I think we did even before, which is not saying a lot because there were not a lot of supports before either. Yeah. And, you know, I was reading, thank, thank goodness for your book and for your work and what you bring into this world. You know, I was I was reading your book and a lot of what you talked about was having, um, you know, bed rest and, and being at home and, and having the option. And I feel like, especially in our profession, we just don't have that. Like we have maybe like the usual, maybe a few weeks here and there tops and that's it. Yep, absolutely. And that's a very real thing that I see in my line of work is depending on the profession, especially in a profession similar to yours, where you have already limited time off. And what happens when things don't go according to quote unquote plan? When mm -hmm. what if you need more time off during pregnancy for bed rest, for example, or um, as you know, my my son was born preterm, so he was in the NICU for a while. And I saw this going on for so many parents is do we take family leave when the child's in the NICU or do we go to the work when they're in the hospital and then take the leave after, hopefully if they come home, right? Like it's just these impossible and unnecessarily impossible decisions that we're asking parents to make. I, it makes me very angry that this even has to be a choice. Why can't we support parents in what they need, especially when things go not according to plan? And the, the profession, our, our, our teachers, there's so little room for error. Like, I mean, for any sort of just, um, if it doesn't go to plan, that's it. I mean, we've got, we have substitute plans. We have this, we have that. We have like very limited sick leave. If that, if that's even available. Yeah. And I think that that also speaks to just the fact that it's a it is pretty female dominated there are more female teachers than male teachers you would think that it would be equipped and ready for for this yeah i know i mean i kind of want to just go on a rant for a second because given that it is female dominated i think we're seeing in the in the pandemic especially that the profession, though it's female dominated, is not at all family centered. And it just it blows my mind that we have let this go on for as long as we have when never more than now, at least to somebody on the outside, has seen how little we actually support some of the core essential people of our society, which are teachers, than in the pandemic when we basically took boulders and threw them on your shoulders and went, good luck. Uh, it's It makes me livid. And then you add on these life experiences that nobody plans for, nobody wants. And what do we do in situations where, let's say you're walking in knowing you have risk factors for miscarriage or uh, pregnancy complications or preterm delivery or something like that? How are you ever supposed to be making these sorts of decisions like why are we always pitting career or life career or family and especially for teachers when truly i really believe more than ever before and i always just like 
never understood how you all did what you did. You guys are angels. And now more than ever, I'm thinking, how are we just throwing you to the wolves? And then we expect that when life goes haywire in ways that nobody maybe expects, even if you have any kind of risk factors, that you're completely on your own to deal with it. That That's so unfair. It feels so unfair to me. And it really makes me livid that that's what's happening. And, and I also feel that there is something to be said about after with these risk factors, especially for the children that that make it and that survive. And, you know, you have blessed this world with two beautiful children. And you've been very open about the experiences that you've had with the public education system of having, you know, especially the going back after a pandemic or this or that, you know, and I'd love to hear more about some of the challenges that you've experienced for your own children. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mean particularly with education? With education and particularly with the risk factors, you know, why you've chosen to, um, because you, you homeschool your, your kids. Yeah. And, and that's a real, that's a very real experience that many of our parents have to figure out like, well, uh, if the school isn't serving my students, there's something that I need to do myself. Yes. So I'll start by saying for anybody that's listening, I never thought I would homeschool. It crossed our minds around the Christmas-ish before the pandemic began. And my husband and I were like, maybe. And then we looked at each other. We're like, no, we're not homeschooling parents. Come on. And it took actually an entire semester of being in Zoom school, I guess it wasn't a whole semester, several months, maybe three months or so, right, of Zoom school when we went, this is an even bigger disaster. (laughs) We can't do this. And I think what it really came down to was recognizing, and I think this is probably just the theme of our experience of bringing our son into the world and becoming parents and shaping our identity as parents is because I went through infertility and then a high-risk pregnancy and then he was in the NICU, we really didn't have the regular guidelines of what what is pregnancy, like how do you get pregnant, how do you stay pregnant, how do you raise a newborn? Like all the regular rules were out the window. So I think that set us up to be better able to question when things weren't working. And so when we recognized in school that academically he wasn't being challenged in the way that he needed, he wasn't being met in the style of learning that he needed. And he was already in private school at this point. We actually knew he wouldn't belong and fit in public school because of his age and what he was showing us in terms of his capabilities academically. And so even then in the private school setting, we recognized that that was missing. And then if the option was Zoom school now because of the pandemic, that is not at all how he learns. And it really became a question of what is most important to us as parents for our children. And that has unequivocally been, we want them to grow up to be happy and to be confident in who they are. And who they are, I can, I think all parents know that your children are unique. We're all, they're all unique. And there are some children who really are farther outside the box we've created for children not to say that that's better or worse or anything like that, but I think it required us to really accept how 
differently he learns and how differently he needs to be supported. And it was then up to us to decide, okay, until we have a better solution, should we take this on ourselves, give him the one-on-one -on -one attention that he can't get at any school and see if we can figure out what's going to be the next best step. And so we decided to homeschool as a temporary solution. I don't know if we're gonna continue for his rest of his education or we'll do it for one more year or somewhere in between. I, I don't know, but I think we're letting him lead just the way that we learned to let him lead with his health as he's been growing up is you tell us what you need and we'll figure out what the right solution is for this phase, understanding that that could change at any time. Wow. And, and I think I love that. I love being able to just, you know, give your, your child that independence and like, okay, you tell us. And yet there are so many parents out there that rely on public education. They're yes. not able to make these totally. decisions. Totally. And again, I think that's so unfair to put that on parents, to put that on teachers. I think we need to have a system that is much more flexible in being able to accommodate both what educators need, what parents need, and what family needs. I think we just need to have family-centered education system as opposed to whatever it is right now, which is not that. Yeah, and that's a good point. Whatever it is right now, we're just kind <laughs> of like surviving and just like, all right, and reacting. It's And I feel like the pandemic really unveiled so many of the issues, systemic issues that have been occurring. Totally. Yes. Agreed. I want to switch gears and think about a lot of our, uh, particularly a lot of our science teachers, they are health teachers too. And the way health is, it, it depends on the school. It could be the fifth grade teacher that says, all right, we're boys go here, girls go there. And here's your week of health. <laughs> um, and, and it, it could also be seventh grade. That's like, I can't teach all these standards because I need to teach health from May to June or something. And so they've got these two months of incorporating health real quickly as some requirement. And then in my situation, I actually taught a full on semester of health. And so I just think one, everything that I just described, that's so random and sporadic. And, and it sounds like as a teacher, you're either thrown into the health classroom or, or not. And then even when you are thrown in, I remember when I was teaching health, it was don't get pregnant, never even look, make eye contact, don't, don't do anything, just hide. <laughs> <laughs> and now here I am like, Okay, it'd be nice to get pregnant again. Uh, things have changed. <laughs> yes, yes. I remember, as you were saying that, I remember our health classes were taught by our PE teachers. It, were, it wasn't even science teachers. We were like, I thought we just did volleyball with you. Why are you talking to us about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what it is. It's so random. And I, I feel like I, you know, you obviously see the patients uh, as they're older and, and I'm wondering what is missing in the school system, especially when it comes to health and wellness and pregnancy. Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> what is missing is actually basic education. I think that's what's missing. What is our body? 
And what is our body doing? And what are the parts of our body? And what are the parts of other people's bodies? And what are they supposed to do? I think we have um, completely missed the boat on that. And what I see kind of the ramifications of that is then we go in with this idea of don't get pregnant. Like you said, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. And somewhere down the road, 10, 15 years later, and too many people are going, I spent my whole life trying not to get pregnant. Now I want to, and I can't. What went wrong? And there's just this basic level of education of how do menstrual cycles work? How do bodies change in adolescence and then early adulthood and then your 30s and then your 40s? We don't talk about these basic, basic level changes that are happening. And I I mean that for both uh, people who have menstrual cycles as well as people who don't partners of people who have menstrual cycles like everybody needs to know this basic education so that you can make better decisions and one of the decisions i hope that becomes more normalized is for both men and women to get fertility testing in their 20s just to know what is your baseline because there's too many people who obviously you think in your 20s eh, I'm so young, I can I can get pregnant. And that is true for most people, but it is not true for all people. And the last thing you want is to go into your late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, however you, whenever you're ready to start a family and realize there's something you could have caught sooner. So just as we do physical exams, just as we do regular checkups from adolescence for overall body health, the same thing needs to happen. Um, I think in terms of education of our reproductive system, I, I remember th- <laughs> in our PE health class, you know, we would talk about lungs. Okay, great. We'd talk a lot about breathing. We talked about our heart and blood flow, but the minute we got to the reproductive system, it was and done, move on quickly anyway. <laughs> and we, we have to normalize that, right? It's the same part of our body as our liver and our spleen and our lungs and our skin, like we have to spend enough time giving actual education of why does it work this way? How does it work? And when do you know to call attention to somebody? And one of the things, especially now that we're recording in March that I think is important to highlight is March is Endometriosis Awareness Month. And that is something that affects, I think it's somewhere around one in 10, possibly one in eight women. And that can start as early as adolescence. You can have red flags. You, if you have family history of it, girls need to know, and their siblings, their future partners, like people need to know what this is about so you can get help sooner, right? So I think it's a long-winded way of saying, I think just really basic education of actually spending enough time um, focusing on the actual functionality of the reproductive system, how it works, why it works that way, and not just don't get pregnant, <laughs> you know, because I think if we understand how it works, then we ha- we see what what options we have of choosing when not to get pregnant and then when to get pregnant. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I look back and I'm just like, wait, I need my textbook again. What's going yeah. on with me? Like, I, and, and I'm thinking about all the things that I probably skipped over, like, oh, let's just, you know, go into this. In fact, I had, I was at a school where we weren't even, I wasn't even able to talk about birth control mm-hmm. when you know yeah. because it was we had a board a school board that was like look abstinence only education 
and I'm like hmm well that's that's interesting and and now I'm seeing uh we're seeing that some of the schools in Virginia they don't want the school to um to talk about sexual education or health they they maybe it should be in the hands of the parents and what would that even look like should the schools be doing this oh my gosh I feel like it's such a big question I mean I think the question that comes up in hearing your question is how did the schools begin to teach it in the first place right was it because it is actually a part of science and it is one of the topics of physical science we want to cover or you know health sciences we want to cover or was it because parents didn't want to have the conversation and so it was one more thing that got pushed into the education system i don't know the answer to that but that's that's what i would like to find out is how did that become a thing in the first place because if it's truly because this is a field of science that we want to cover appropriately, then I think schools should cover it in the way that we cover every other topic in science. And if it was more of a cultural push of parents don't want to do this, but or maybe societies, or I don't know, however it wasn't got pushed onto the teachers, then I think we need to have a much more communal conversation of how do we as a society prepare this next generation for what they are inevitably going to go through with all the body changes that are required to become an adult. Hi, it's Lena, and I want to tell you all about our STEM for Real network. In our network, our educators, or who we like to call NETIs, incorporate culturally responsive science and math teaching using lesson study. Visit us at www.stemforreal.org forward slash partnership. That's stem4real.org forward slash partnership and learn more about how your school or district can partner with us and become our newest Netty for real. And I feel like there are so many terms as I've gone into, as I span more decades and I hear about more and more things like preeclampsia, like what, what the heck? And, yeah. and things that I've never really learned about as, as something to, to prepare myself to prepare, like as my friends are going through it, I'm like, and, and all I can say is, well, stay pregnant, keep at it. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it keeps pointing back to, where do we get that basic education from? Where can we get this basic necessary information from? Is it our schools? Does it start in schools, but then expands to the community, you know, parents and coaches and doctors? And how do we have those conversations? And maybe if schools aren't comfortable or don't want to have these classes, could we set up some kind of a system where at least the children and the families are given questions to take to their medical professionals so they can have these conversations? Are we talking about medical groups maybe leading workshops that once a child hits approximately the age they would have done a health class in school, could somebody else lead it? But regardless of who's leading it, that conversation has to happen what's happening in your body what can you expect and when do you contact an adult if something goes off right as somebody who grew up with endometriosis i needed more information that i didn't get until i was an adult that finally helped make sense about what i was going through and why none of my other friends were affected the way that i was 
And a lot of our um, a lot of our teachers, they teach science, they teach biology, they teach, you know, and, and when we're learning about a lot of the uh, disorders, let's see, the genetic disorders, it's like this mutation, that mutation, you have this gene, you have that gene, you're a carrier. And I'm wondering what that as I feel like when I was learning about it, and even when I was teaching about it, of course, there's this negative connotation. And like, go see a geneticist, go get genetic testing. And, and I, I'm wondering if, what does that even look like as these, uh, they're humans, essentially, that's coming into the world. What is this? How do people think about this from that age? And, and how should teachers teach these topics? Yeah. You know, what comes to mind is similar to how I work with my private clients is, can we inject more curiosity? Instead of coming at it from here's the problem and here's how to fix it, can we come at it with more questions than solutions first? What's happening? Why might this be happening? Why to this person and not that person? Why? What's going on with me? What factors in my family put me more at risk or you more at risk? And get really curious about what is going on and really understanding uh, what it's going to take, what is the journey to healing or repairing or getting the treatments that you need for XYZ condition? And why is that? And getting real, asking a lot of questions. And I wonder if that is, could be possibly a more eye-opening way to present some of these concepts because it may not apply to you or me, but we may take those questions and realize, oh my gosh, I didn't realize my neighbor is uh, colorblind. What does that mean? What does What do they see when they look outside? What do I see? What could I do to possibly help somebody like this growing up? And I think that it just, it's, the questions build on themselves. And I think that might erase also a little bit of the stigma of, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me to, okay, this is something that's in my journey, in my body, in my health history. Everyone has something, this one's mine. And so how can I then build my community, my support systems, including parents and then maybe teachers and medical professionals to help me better understand what my body needs? Because that's really what I see by the time I see my private clients in adulthood is that's really missing is the question of, okay, I understand most bodies work that way, mine doesn't, and I don't know what to do with that. And I think if we were built with that question of this is what my body needs and how do I figure out how to support that from an early age, I think that's going to be phenomenal going forward as we enter into adulthood. And I'm hearing you say that like already pregnancy and uh, just maternity in general, it's just such a long and and, and it could be a, a rough journey, not so rough. And I hear teachers share stories about while they're teaching while pregnant whether they've either gotten attacked whether they've um they've they had to be on their their feet there are these expectations and I'm of course it's mortifying when I hear that and and it also makes me wonder like there has to be something that we can do as a profession to support our te our pregnant teachers yeah yeah, I think about a couple of teachers I worked with pre-pandemic who were in in that boat. You know, as you know, I work with the high-risk populations that there were already set up for complications. Uh, one of them are developed it while we were working together and needed bed rest. One of them needed some intensive medication and needed a lot of time off. And 
we need a system that allows for that to be possible and and to be very supportive and i think it just keeps bringing me back to how do we make the education system family centered both for the the students and their parents or their guardians but also the educators and the families they're trying to create and going back to this um to the idea of being family centered there are many students that have their we call it a there, there's a spectrum and you know whether they're on the autism spectrum or whether they have some sort of learning disability or an emotional disability and so that just goes into special education and a lot of a lot of models they separate students with disabilities and they yes. separate whether it's you know they, there's just this demarcation between well here's the standard classroom and then there you can go Yes. And I just, I have to pause and think that can't be good for just development in general. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. I, it brought, brought up two memories. I had one as a student of feeling like there is this closed door. It was called resource in our school system. And these kids are getting called out and they're going to resource. And it's like this other alternate universe almost we're like oh that kid's going to resource like no idea what that meant none at all and nobody even told us what that meant it was just hush hush that child's just going anyway let's focus on this so it's completely separated so i grew up with this idea of oh my gosh is there something really wrong with that kid or like what's happening behind that door that nobody else is allowed to be in? it was very mystifying and then as I grew older, my training was in clinical psychology and I specialized in child and family therapy. And so I worked at an, a public school in the school system I grew up in, just a different school than I went to. And then I got to see behind that door and I went, that's it? Like, why are we not telling all the kids about, because this is not a big deal. And these kids, like, they're, they're not different. They just need different supports. And I understood at being the, the school therapist at that point of part of the reason is it was the the teachers just didn't have enough supports to be able to manage all the different learning styles in the classroom, which I can fully appreciate, I, or maybe I can't, is of how difficult that is. And also, I think you bring up a fantastic point, is whenever I could work with the teachers to get those kids that were kicked out into resource and bring them back into the classroom, they did so much better, so much better. Yeah, I, I think that... I want to go back to the idea of having just flexibility, family orientation, and just the, I, I think just having the permission to have someone to confide in, to talk to about a lot of these things. I, I know for me, as I reflect on my own experience, it was, it was very isolating. And at the same time, I feel like, cause I didn't, how do I, tell my my superiors like oh I had to cancel the last day of class I'm sorry I was experiencing a pregnancy loss and and I bet there and of luck luckily I had I have an amazing team and, and a very like again family oriented very they're just like are you okay you know and I'm just like I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to send the final link for the for the evaluations <laughs> it slipped my mind of course of course it did. And, and I just think about a lot of what our teachers are going through. How can they, how can they 
I'm just going to say it, demand <laughs> what yeah. they, what they need to have, whether it's any, whether it's a high risk pregnancy, whether it's a, uh, any pregnancy, what should they be asking for? What would a family oriented, you know, uh, profession look like to support our pregnant teachers? Yes. Ooh, I love this question. I got chills. I think it would start with when you choose the job or when you're interviewing, ask them what the policies are. You know, we talk about sick leave, we talk about time off, but I would drill farther and go, do you have bereavement leave? Do you have bereavement leave that that uh, covers pregnancy loss? Do you have parental leave that includes adoption or surrogacy or growing your family in a different way? I think we need to have these conversations from the very beginning, just as we have normalized discussing and negotiating salary and time off and some other of these details. This has to be a part of that conversation from the very beginning. Now, if you're already in that industry or you know you already have your job and you're not necessarily interviewing, but you know you're about to start growing your family or it's kind of on your radar, I would go find out that information. Whoever that person is that's inside the system to talk to, get those details, get them down on paper. And I think this really speaks to what you were asking earlier about how do we build this into the education system. I think this is one of the benefits of talking to students about this from a young age, because the more we normalize this conversation about, hey, sometimes fertility treatment is required, because for anyone who's listening who's done IVF, you know how busy you are during an IVF cycle. It takes a lot of time away from everything else that you're doing. And sometimes pregnancy is a complications. You might need bed rest or you might need time off or anything like that. The more we normalize it, the more we're going to expect it to be covered, to be supported, to be cared for as we become adults. So I think there's kind of two ways we can do that. As adults now, start questioning it and asking it before you need it. Get it down on paper. Negotiate those details before you need them if you can. And then we plant those seeds in the children now that this is what a healthy reproductive system looks like and feels like and should behave like and if it goes off course you need you know you you need to be able to have access to the medical care and also the supports both you know high school college graduate school and then in your professional career we need to build that in and and i think if we create a generation that expects that i imagine the systems will start to change too Wow, I wouldn't even think about asking for that. Like that's something I of course mine mine was like, okay, let me pull up the salary scale. Where am I gonna be? And yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to touch upon what you just mentioned. And that was, you know, again, as we span decades, conversations change. And I'm hearing now IVF cycles and getting a fertility test and this and that. Again, going from don't get pregnant, don't even look, don't make eye contact <laughs> to okay, all right, <laughs> now you can. And I even have I have friends that have been going through the the egg freezing process yes, and yes. And what, tell us more about, you know, some, what is something that's to, that's to be expected about this journey and, and just some of the, the challenges that may come up? Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the things I wished I had learned, uh, not trial by fire, but actually learned ahead of time was to do fertility testing in your twenties, to see what's going on, to get baseline information. I knew because of my endometriosis diagnosis that getting pregnant was going to be difficult with the way that that disease was presenting for me. So I actually started fertility treatment in my 20s, which is how I learned trial by fire. Of, oh, this is 
this is what this takes. This is a lot. Wow. Um, but had I been more proactive about it or been encouraged to be proactive about it, we could have gotten this information in a much more titrated manner and much more digestible pieces that we could understand. Um, and this also comes from meeting then a lot of people who in their 20s also thought, I, if I look at somebody, I should be able to get pregnant. And then they started trying and realizing they couldn't get pregnant because we're not talking about anovulatory cycles. We're not talking about hormone imbalance. We're not talking about these kinds of things. And it wasn't until they tried getting pregnant, couldn't get pregnant, and then they did the fertility testing to find out their ovarian reserve is really low in their 20s. I mean, you hear about concepts like that of, oh, your ovaries are like 45 years old. Really what we're talking about is the reserve is significantly lower than before. And we could have tracked that or caught it sooner if testing had happened sooner, which is again why these conversations need to happen at a younger age to prepare people, not to scare people because the statistics are still skewed towards most people will be okay. But I mean, truthfully with COVID going the way that it is and what the impact on the whole body that we're starting to recognize, I think now more than ever, people need to be aware that things could go off track and it's best to catch it early rather than later. So we're talking, you know, uh, changes to menstrual cycles for, for females. We're talking about sperm health for um for for males we're talking about uh you know when you do try to conceive what are the actual statistics of achieving a successful pregnancy in your 20s versus your early 30s versus your late 30s like getting really clear about what these numbers actually could be like now can you beat those odds and do things to increase your chances of beating odds? Absolutely. In a lot of cases you can, but I think most people are shocked at actually how long it can take even a healthy person or a healthy couple to get pregnant. And those conversations I think are just so necessary. And you talk a lot about, the, there's a lot of science that you're, that you talk about all the time. Of course, you know, as, and as science teachers, we, we teach the science, we teach the genetics, the mitosis, meiosis, all that, all that good stuff. And one of the things I'll just say it, you are, you are the Midas touch in many of your clients. You see it, you, and, and it's, it's beautiful to see that you're there. You're there for um, these people that are, that are, have struggled and you, they meet you and it's just like, wow, path to baby here. And, and you create that path. And I almost want to say that you're almost, you're a unicorn in this work. And so much of this has, um, has been talked about, you know, in your book, Pregnancy Brain. And one of the things as I was reading has been leaning into the emotion, leaning into like not thinking about emotion as something that's separate, but actually leaning into that emotion. I know after my loss, I was like, all right, um, do I have any, anything lined up on my calendar? What do I need to do next? And, you know, our team was just like, uh, stop, you're gonna, you're off the clock. You need to heal. I'm like, it's fine. It's done. Let's go. Uh, and, and you talk about how damaging that can be and how we're, we're just pretending that the emotions don't exist in the medical world. Yes. Yes. It's like, we have this floating head that's separate from our bodies and they have no contact with each other. And 
my two words for you are nervous system. <laughs> there's, there's an actual connection point <laughs> and it is through the one body system that touches all other body systems. Um, and it sounds, you know, it sounds very woo because we are, we have been raised in a culture and in a system, both education as well as in the medical system to believe that they are separate. And what we know for a fact is that things that we call stress, for example, we call trauma, we use these words, but they're not these amorphous experiences. They're actual physiological cascading changes that happen in the body that show up in health issues. And so we have to be able to connect into that and understand how do my muscles, how do my fascia, how do my joints, how do my, how does my sensory system, how does my sensory motor system, how do all these things work together to keep me either in the survival state that is going to have a cascading effect on all of my body, including reproductive system, and how can I use them to come out of that survival state into the physiological state of safety, which is where my body can actually repair at a cellular level and help me optimize my health in all body systems, including my reproductive system. And there's this question that is always going in my mind now, thanks to you. And that is, uh, what does my body need? Yeah. What does my body need right now? as you know, because of course the stress, I'm just like, ah, oh my gosh. And then, and then I just think, wait, okay, hold on. What does my body need? Yes. Yes. It's one of my favorite questions. And I'll add here that when we live in a body with traumatic stress, that is not a question that we know how to answer. So if anybody's listening and they're going, I don't know, I have no idea what my body needs. I can't even feel my body. That makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense because we're not supposed to feel our bodies. We're not supposed to be able to answer that question. And so that, again, getting back to curiosity, if I can't answer that question, what does it tell me about the state that my body is in? And what do I need in that state to help me get through to the next moment? There's so many just layers and layers of questions we can ask that will give so much insight into what actually your body needs, but getting you there in a way that by asking questions, you can actually answer easily. So as, as we, you know, think about, we've talked so much about, you know, everything from the, the pregnant teacher to the, um, the health class to, you know, everything in between. And I would love to know as we, you know, leave our audience with something to think about, uh, there are so many ways to work with you and we're going to post everything in our show notes but what's something that um that teachers and administrators can start doing to um to really reform the the education system and the profession to support our um our teachers essentially mm -hmm. i have lots of dreams so i don't know how practical any of this is you all have to tell me um but maybe change needs to be impractical at first. I don't know. Uh, but I, <laughs> I think the place to begin is building in these policies for the job openings that you're creating. 
as administrators or whoever it is that's designing these policies, can you think about what are you going to do if one of your teachers needs to be on bed rest? What are you going to do if one of your teachers has a baby in the NICU? You know, my son was in the NICU for over three and a half months. What are you going to do if that's an extended stay? How are you going to handle that in terms of turnover, in terms of uh, financial um, stability for your, your, your employee? How are you going to support them to come back? Do you want them to come back? You know, really asking yourself these questions uh, included in that would be asking questions about what do we do if if a an, a teacher, an educator, an administrator experiences pregnancy loss? What if that pregnancy loss is life threatening and they need more than three, four, six days to recover? You know, really accepting that this is a part of life and building it in so that nobody's kind of on the hook at the last minute trying to scramble and figure that out. And I actually think in building that in, you could make a th these job openings that might be happening hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, really enticing when people can feel like they're going to be taken care of if life goes sideways, right? And then I think trickling down from there is really normalizing this conversation. Um, so, you know, again, you know this better, much better than I do about what you have to teach. But I think so much of the teaching can happen outside of the formal instruction. I learned more about my body in the nurse's room or with my seventh grade Spanish teacher, honestly, after class, when I had an issue that happened with a, a period that was so heavy and I did not understand what was happening. Um, and she sat down and she explained it. And so can we have these conversations that really normalize the changes that are happening in the children's bodies so they don't walk ahead into adulthood with shame about it, but are actually walking ahead with empowered knowledge to be able to ask the questions they need to get the care that they need as they're growing up. I, well, you know what? I'm the perfect person to talk about pie in the sky things because <laughs> I am an idealist. I just, I've got rose colored lenses on right now. And, <laughs> and I, I don't think anything that you mentioned is unreasonable. I, yeah. I think that we should be able to have these conversations I even twinge every time I talk about my own experience and come to find out every time I mention it, someone, every other person has, has experienced it yep. too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what, how did you go through that? And a lot of that, and, and especially when they talk about it, they talk about it when they were in the classroom teaching full time. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. whoa. Yeah. It's so prevalent. So let's talk about it. Let's just make it part of conversation. What did you have for lunch? How's your family building going? Are you willing to share? <laughs> you know, I mean, let's it's private. Absolutely. And also we should have the choice to be able to share if we want that support from other people. Well, I'm so excited about your work as I've got little imaginary jumper cables on my ovaries right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, come on. You got this. <laughs> But it has been such a pleasure, like just just being in touch with you and with your work. And I I really hope that a lot of our educators can can take something away in terms of whether they're teaching health and science, whether they're experiencing it themselves, and really thinking about how we can transform education for 
for for everyone to be family centered. Yes. And thank you for everything that you do. I mean, you're changing the world with your work. I'm just so appreciative of you and everything that you're doing. Thank you. Well, awesome. Everyone will have the show notes and everything, every way, every which way to get in touch with Parijat. And she is a force as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching STEM For Real, where as you can see, we keep it for real for our STEM educators. If you enjoyed it, make sure that you are subscribed for our future content and please leave us a five-star rating and review. I hope you loved hearing about the why. And now let's talk about the how. Let's partner together and do this work. Visit our website at www.stemforreal.org forward slash partnership. That's stem4real.org forward slash partnership. Until then, keep teaching STEM for real.